I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 22nd of May, and this is The Courier Daily. We've been talking with small business owners all over the world every day to find out ways they're adapting and growing during the health crisis. Today, we're looking at the future of the co-working sector. We've heard for weeks now that offices and co-working spaces are doomed, but is that really the case? The answer, as everything, is a bit nuanced. Today's a special one-on-one deep dive with Gabriella Hersham. She's the co-founder and CEO of Huckletree, a co-working company with spots in London, Manchester, Dublin, and Oslo. On the agenda today, the health of the company, how and when they plan to reopen, and if counterintuitively, the crisis may actually end up being a good thing for the industry. Here's Gabby. So in terms of where we are as a company today, unfortunately, when everything kind of hit the fan, we had to furlough half of our team. We have about 70 employees across the business. So that was, you know, 30, 35 odd people that have been furloughed, which is never an easy thing to do, but they actually reacted amazingly to it. They've been super supportive. They've been, obviously they can't work, but they've been staying up to date with information and you know, just, um, I guess, being involved with us, albeit from afar. And our team members who haven't been furloughed have been absolutely incredible, which I can talk about in more detail later. And who are the people that you've kept on? I mean, are the people that you furloughed the kind of people who, you know, manage the actual spaces, I suppose? So of the uh, people that we haven't had to furlough, I guess the majority of the people that have kind of, you know, stayed working throughout the process have been our general managers and our membership managers at site level who have had tons to deal with, as you can imagine, and who have also been really amazing at making sure that we are doing everything we can for our kind of return to work, adjusting to the new normal, which invariably and we hope is going to happen quite soon. But then also all of our central team. So we haven't followed many people from our central team. And obviously that covers sort of, you know, sales, marketing, product, programming, platform, etc. And I guess what all of those team members have been doing is they've really been focusing on the kind of new products that we can put out there. So I think how we see this moment in time is it's a massive wake up call. And, you know, who knows how long it's going to take. We hope it is going to go back to normal pretty quickly. And we hope the demand for workspace is going to increase. And actually, on that note, what we've seen in Asia is that the demand for co-working space has increased as they've come back online, because the kind of larger entities in the corporate who would have taken on longer leases of their own are now reluctant to do that and they want more flexibility so they're going to the co-working spaces so actually as a net result it's been very positive for the co-working sector but equally we want to make sure that we're using this moment in time really to reflect and I think our belief is that we need to destroy what we know in order to help us build creation and I think when you're coming from that premise there's so much that you can do so yes we build co-working spaces but is being a co-working company the be all and end all of of our mission and who we see ourselves and it's really not you know our mission is to help entrepreneurs, help them grow their businesses, help them grow as people, help them do it with a positive mindset, with balance, with healthy mental well-being. And yes, co-working spaces are the places that we build where the entrepreneurs can come together in real life. But they're just one of the things that we build for the entrepreneurs. And so I think we've really been using this moment to think about the bigger picture and think about you know how we can diversify and how, how else we can help. In terms of your membership, have you frozen memberships? Have you seen a big exodus of people canceling their memberships? No, we haven't. I think at the beginning, we were very worried. I know I was. Because obviously, you know, you think if people aren't going to be at work, then 
you know, is the office one of the first things that they're going to want to cross off their P&L? But actually, I think the perception has been that people really want to get back to work sooner rather than later. If they'll put in some kind of rotational system with their team is, is still to be seen. And I'm sure lots of them will, but they do want to get back to their offices. They want to get back to the community. They want to get back to the events. And you can do so many things from home. And I think we all know that. And we've all seen how you can close a deal on Zoom. But can you build a relationship and can you build culture? And the answer is no. So I think, you know, there has been that mass. We want to get back to work, which has been great. And we really haven't seen such a big drop off in terms of membership. We've seen a few and it was to be expected. And the team have been amazing with regards to offering as many initiatives as we can to help those members throughout the process and throughout the period. But it hasn't been as drastic as we had initially thought it would be, which has been reassuring. You guys were on a a growth trajectory, right? A growth path. I mean, you just opened up a new one in Oslo recently. Was that open for like a day before you had to shut it down? I mean, what was the status of that? Yeah. In 2019, we opened Soho, which is our venture hub. We opened Public Hall, the GovTech hub with Public. We opened Oslo, another kind of venture and scale-up hub. And we opened Ancoats in Manchester, which is a digital lifestyle hub. And so, yeah, you know, some of them were definitely open for a quick minute before COVID hit. And that has definitely impacted the forecasts and the growth projections. But I think we're very confident that they will, you know, get back to pre-COVID kind of projections, at least, you know, by early 21, if not by late 2020. So, you know, for us, it's just a matter of riding out the wave where and however best we can. And also thinking about what else we're putting out there as a business to help grow the business in the meantime and beyond. Because there's so many different analyses out there in the world. Some people say, you know, co-working is screwed, the office is screwed. And then I've read a lot that says, actually, counterintuitively, the fact that since we're all going to be remote working, not everybody's going to work or want to work from home. So they're going to need to work from somewhere. That somewhere is probably going to be either a cafe or a co-working space. So you might see a actually a surge in memberships of co-working spaces. Obviously, you have to work at all the social distancing aspect of all of that, but it's not a very kind of intuitive thing. Yeah, no, I mean, we definitely have to build in the social distancing. But I think how we're thinking about workspace as a product after is that the office is going to need to be much more of an experience than it is today. So so today, you know, people assume that they have to go into the workplace, they have to go into their office. And, you know, that's just a matter of fact, because it's part of their work. And it's part of what, what they're expected to do on a daily basis. But I think how we're thinking about it tomorrow is that, okay, you don't actually have to go to an office every day anymore. It's not about clocking in. It's not about clocking out. It's much more about flexibility. Flexibility isn't just something that you put on your benefits page, on your careers page. It's a complete mindset that massive organizations are going to have to shift into. And actually, once you have that flexibility and you have the optionality about whether you work from home or whether you go into an office, that leaves for huge creativity on the office side because suddenly... But the office isn't just a place anymore where you've got a desk and you're expected to go in, clock in and do your work. It becomes more of an immersive experience. It becomes a place where you're actually prepared to make that trip. You're prepared to, you know, get on public transport, the risks that that involves and or cycle into work or however you're going to get there. Because you know that once you get there, you're going to be immersed into this world of collaboration, of creativity, of creation you know, and of culture. And I think for me, and for us as people who, you know, office is our core product, that's very exciting. 
And that leaves for a lot of possibilities. And we've always been trying to push the boundaries on that front anyway. So, you know, over the years, we've had many, many a brainstorming session about what would we want in our workspace and our office if money was no issue and if we didn't have to make the space as efficient as possible? What would be the things that we want? And out of those conversations came things that we then built into the spaces. So we built you know, the kids' studios where parents could bring their children into. We built the brain dump rooms, which were just rooms full of whiteboards because we remembered when we were kind of building our our own website that we never had enough whiteboards and, you know, the little things like that. But then you build them into the space. We've built influencer rooms. We've built games rooms. We've built reading corners. We've built podcast studios. All these crazy things that you just don't expect to happen in in your typical office. You don't expect to be there fun things and fun ways to to reshape how we view the office and what the office can offer. And so I think what's really exciting for us today is that those parameters have suddenly been exploded and that people are going to want so much more from their office than they have today. And that for us leaves a lot of room for creativity and freedom, which I'm really excited about. Are you going to um, change up your membership structure in any way to be infinitely flexible or something like that rather than like you know this is your lease for a month this is your lease for a week uh yes we are so we're definitely looking and at the moment it's something that we're working on is building new membership models for more flexibility and we'll be bringing a couple of them to market we don't want to go out with 20 new models and new offerings but i think there are definitely some that today's world are calling for and that we're giving a lot of thought to that's exciting. And I think, you know, for us also, the the way that this moment has forced us to be more flexible in terms of what we're offering to our audience uh, is something that clearly, you know, the world has been calling for and, you know, is an exciting moment in time for that. And now what are you guys doing right now as a company? Because obviously all of your places are closed. Do you have revenue coming in right now? I mean, are you hitting people up every month for their membership fees or something like that? Yeah, so we've been quite adamant from the beginning that we've wanted to prioritize our members. So where members have come to us and have needed flexibility, we've offered various mechanisms to accommodate for this. We do still have revenue coming in, which is great because, you know, unfortunately, we're still on the hook for all of our costs as well. So if we didn't have the revenue, the business wouldn't structurally survive. But I guess, you know, on the lines of prioritizing our members, you know, we've just been getting under the skin of what their immediate needs are. They've also had to furlough their own teams. They've had cash flow problems. They've needed access to information, resources, etc. And so we've been very focused on, on helping them however we can, but then also some kind of more practical things that we've been changing. So we, and I know now it's been done a hundred times over, but we moved all of our memberships to virtual programming and launched new services such as advisory sessions with our senior team and with Andrew and I as the founders. We were also doubling down on our digital programming. So we've given our founders more. We've given them access to mentorship. We're doing the Instagram live. We decided to press on with our accelerator program. So our accelerator was literally about to kick off before COVID kicked in. It is our first industry focused accelerator. So this one is focused on beauty tech. And instead of kicking off with just the four or five founders and small teams that we would normally, we actually decided to open it to every single business that applied. So we have 50 businesses going through our accelerator at this moment in time, and we moved it all to online. And actually, that has been a really exciting eye-opener for us as well, in the sense of actually, we can do that. We can make it bigger and better and bring it online. So it's just interesting how this moment has actually brought about opportunity that we didn't really realize was there before. We did the same thing. We've also got a startup school called Renegade Academy, which is an intensive one-week boot camp that uh, we designed to basically give founders everything they need in order to know 
how to launch their startup. So they end it with user feedback, with a go-to-market strategy, with a tailored pitch, with everything that they need the collateral to go and raise their seed around. And so for the first Academy of 2020, which was May's Academy, this month's Academy, we waived the course fee and we instead asked participants to donate whatever they could to the NHS. So we 100% of the course fees went towards the NHS so to support the frontline healthcare workers. And we sold out all 50 spots within 24 hours, which was pretty amazing. So now we are thinking about the June program, re-optimizing it, bringing it back online. But, you know, it's these kind of products that are really exciting us as a team and as a business and really, you know, making us rethink how we do things. And I know that the team at the moment, everybody is living on the edge. And actually, that's a really, really good feeling. And you can forget how good that feeling is. And it's not that during normal moments, I don't have a massively ambitious team because I do. And they're all incredible. But I just think today they're feeling and we all are more alive, more inspired, more trusting of each other and less afraid, less fearful. It feels good. When you're thinking about reopening, what guidelines will you follow in terms of when, first of all? Will it be when Boris Johnson says now's the time you can open or will it be earlier? Will it be later? And how will you institute, you know, making people feel safe sitting at a desk that somebody else was sitting at a half hour ago? We do have to go by what Boris says, but equally, you know, he's not known for being massively clear on what's happening when. Look, we've got three different markets and three different sets of regulations. So that's the first thing to take into consideration. In the UK, we are, first of all, offices were never categorically told to close. So our spaces have never been closed. They've actually been open throughout, albeit on a very stripped back team. We've wanted to minimize, obviously, the risk of our own team members. So we've stripped the team right back. But the spaces have been open throughout. And people who can't work from anywhere else but the office have been able to go in. And look, I think Parliament is supposed to address us at the end of May and tell us more definitively what's happening when. But at the moment, we're working towards a July 6th, which is, I believe, the first Monday of July, proper reopening and relaunch of the spaces with the team back in place and with you know everything that we know and love about Huckletree back in place. How we've been going about making people feel comfortable, and I think that is a really crucial element because... A lot of it is about giving people that subconscious knowledge that, you know, you can put your health in our hands and we will make sure that we're looking after it. And so that just comes down to stricter cleaning procedures, you know, much more frequent cleaning procedures, making sure that we're respecting the two meter guidelines, giving out PPE equipment, monitoring temperatures of guests upon arrival. Actually, for the first while, we're not allowing guests in the spaces, it's members only, etc, etc. The list goes on. We actually release a kind of back to work guidelines to our members at the beginning of the month. So it's a, it's pretty lengthy. It's something that, you know, everybody in our industry is putting out. And it's very important that everybody does do so because, you know, there is nothing more important than people's health and, and also their mental well-being. I know that people are, are conscious about returning to work. And if we can do something to alleviate that, then we want to be able to do that. Perhaps finally, I mean, what other things have you learned in the past two, three months running a company in an industry that most people think are in the doldrums right now? You have physical spaces, you have a big team, some of them aren't with you anymore. It must be innately stressful period for you and for all your employees. But what have you learned during this time? I literally have learned more during this time than I think in the entire seven-year career that I've had with Huckletree. And it has been an amazing moment in that sense. Obviously, 
mitigated by the fact that people are suffering around us and there's a lot of health problems with lots of people around us. My, myself and my husband actually had COVID at the breakout of all of this, so that wasn't fun. But looking at it from a positive lens, I've learned a lot as you know somebody who has built and is building a business with the rest of my team. The first thing that I have learned is that trust and integrity matters hugely. We've been upfront with our members from the beginning that we are here for them for as long as this takes. We're founders too, we understand how it is. And so we've been wanting to invest in the long-term success of our members in order to help them and to achieve net positives for the ecosystem and not just look at the revenue that we absolutely had to take in month on month. So that for me is probably the biggest thing. And it's something that as a CEO, as as a founder, you know all along, but actually until you're tested on it, you don't realize how important it is and how important communication is. And I think that's probably the next thing is that communication, you know, optimizing for over communication at a moment like this could not be more important. We've always had a decent communication structure within the team, but all of a sudden, you know, we have all hands twice a week. We have department leads meeting every week. We have team whips every morning and likewise with our investors. So weekly board calls. And I think that just gives everybody the comfort that they need to know that they are in the loop with what's going on and that things are happening and things are moving in the right direction. So I think over communicating is definitely the second biggest thing that I have, I have learned. And look, you know, it's been a hard few months. They've definitely been very humbling and the fight is long. But I think, you know, for us, what it's also shown us is that the curation model and investing in the more niche neighborhood buildings that we produce in the communities does matter. And we've seen that, you know, we've seen that because it's not about any business coming into our spaces. It's more about curated communities that has, I think, you know, provided us with members who have wanted to stay and support. And so that has been really, really nice to see and really nice to witness as well. I guess those are the three things. And then the last thing that I would really say is, and I I always knew this, but being a mission driven business and our mission is to help entrepreneurs has swum to the surface of being, you know, one of the most important things about our business. And I think for any founder out there, if you do have a strong mission, I think, you know, your commitment to your business, but also your team's commitment to the business will survive in times of crisis. And that for me has been hugely eye-opening because you just can't really know that in reality until a crisis happens. And that's it for today. If you liked what you heard, I'd love if you could subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And why not sign up to Courier Weekly, our weekly email newsletter with stories of adapting, pivoting, growing, and reopening. That's at couriermedia.co slash sign up. I'm Daniel Giacopelli, Courier Dailies, back again on Monday. <laughs>